Hey, Under the Wheels fans, Matthew here. Just kind of giving an intro to this episode. We actually ended up recording this episode at the same time that we recorded the Soul episode. So this was done before we had found out about the Academy Awards and what the Academy Awards held. Instead of releasing this at the same time as Soul, uh, I thought to prioritize releasing the Soul episode and then just moving forward and getting back to this. So in some ways, this episode of Under the Wheels is almost like a lost episode. Uh, so I hope you enjoy listening to Gabe and I talk all about our theories on why they decide to make movies based off of plays and uh, all of the trials and tribulations they find. And uh, I hope you enjoy the episode. But I don't have a lot to talk about. So it's really going to be me asking you what you've been watching because you've been you've been pretty prolific. Uh, kind of. I mean, we'll just talk about it now, too. I mean, I'm probably going to just leave all of this in. So yeah. what uh, what uh, what have you been watching lately? You can either go back to forward or forward to back. She went under the wheels. <laughs> Welcome to Under the Wheels. I'm Matthew. And I'm Gabe. All right, so what have I been watching lately? <laughs> You're like, okay, did I write it all out? Am I going to make sure I hit everything I need? Um, so I watched The Elephant Man from David Lynch. Um, Ooh. Which is, uh, you know, it's really good. Um, it's interesting that David Lynch's first two feature films were in black and white. And then he finally got to do color with Dune. Um <laughs> He could have with um, Return of the Jedi. I know he could have. I mean, it it's a good movie. It's really um, it's really good looking. It's got some great performances, great like special effects and makeup. John Hurt does really well in it. Um, Anthony Hopkins is just like Anthony Hopkins at any age, no matter how old or how young, is just Anthony Hopkins. He, does, he everything <laughs> is exactly the same. He looks the same. He sounds the same. His performances are identical. So that was interesting. Um, uh, Anthony Hopkins' face shape has never changed throughout the course of his career. Nope. So he just and like he's always had like a short haircut. So it didn't matter as he got older. It's just like he just looked the same all the time. He had a long he had long hair in um, Zorro though. <laughs> he had a he had a good wig in Zorro. Yeah. Um, did he? Uh, what but, did he have white hair in Elephant Man? No, he's he's young. He's got like dark hair and stuff. Okay. Um, but yeah, he just looks and sounds like Anthony Hopkins. Like he's just, <laughs> hey, look, it's Anthony Hopkins. You know, it's it's pretty it's it's very straightforward and very sentimental, which is unusual for a Lynch movie. But it does have some neat like dream sequences and stuff. And like even as sappy as it is, like the a lot of the makeup and effects and things are like genuinely unsettling. Also, right. Kenny Baker has a little ca- has a little cameo, haha. Ha. Um, ha, ha, ha. Has a cameo as a circus performer, and he he's got like this super rough and tumble accent, which is funny. He's like, "Oi, mate, we're gonna get you out of here." <laughs> I think that's just how he sounds. I think that's just yeah. his voice. 
That I mean that that's what I mean. That is his voice. Oh which yeah, yeah. <laughs> really made me wish that that was how R two speaks instead of like bleeps and bloops. Well, so quick brief aside, in the uh, if you look at like the raw footage synced to the original sound for the original Star Wars movie, mm-hmm. um, the guy who played as Chewbacca, he actually spoke all of Chewbacca's lines, and wow. then later on, I think George Lucas was like, "We can't use this." And made it so that there were like weird growls and things like that. Cause I don't, I think like originally he was supposed to say the lines or speak English. Cause there's a lot of times where you're like looking at Chewbacca and it's like, how, how does Han know what he's saying? And it's obviously funnier for the movie that he just knows what he's saying. But I think a lot of the times he was actually saying lines that ultimately George Lucas was like, yeah, maybe I should just have good actors say my dialogue and not just like okay actors. Yeah. Well, it's funny. But Someone I- framed, uh, star wars is dungeons and dragons characters <laughs> and like they were basically saying like leia was pissed when she was rescued because um you know she's like a very important person and was expecting yeah. to be rescued by like special forces not by like a ragtag team of idiots <laughs> and how, god how did they describe it it was really funny it was like it's like a wizard who left his spell book at home um <laughs> A barbarian who put all his points into charisma. (laughs) (laughs) And a rogue with zero intelligence. (laughs) Wait, is Chewbacca supposed to be the all like the barbarian with charisma? Because he's a dog who's adorable. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, um back to the elephant man. Yes, the elephant man. The Elephant Man is really good. Uh, you know, it's just, you know, it's a very just old-fashioned movie, but it's got enough David Lynch flavor to it to uh, keep it interesting. He wasn't the only writer on this. I think did do you know the do you know any of the behind the scenes on this? Because he's listed as I I'm, I always thought of the Elephant Man as one of those jobs where it was like a mercenary job. It's like oh, we just we needed someone to direct. Oh it, yeah, David it totally Lynch was. Just took it and made it his own. Um. But yeah, do you know anything behind like the this the scripting process? Like, was he part of the original group who scripted it? Because I'm, I'm sure. I don't know if he was. Has... I mean, he's he is a writer of multiple writers, mm-hmm. and it was adapted from a couple different sources, including uh, Frederick Treves' memoir, which uh, is Anthony Hopkins' character in the movie, mm-hmm. um, and does take a very sentimental view of of events but it does have like a good amount of lynchian stuff to it where there's just like just tons of industrial noise and like urban wreckage (laughs) (laughs) it's hard to describe if you haven't seen like eraserhead or something but it looks like you know they're like make england look like eraserhead and he's like i can do that just it just farther in the past right because this is like it takes place like yeah it's in, it's in victorian england okay um but you know everything's like ultra grimy decrepit falling apart ugly mm-hmm. with like very beautiful lighting there's just like smog <laughs> and smoke and mist and rain everywhere and like everything feels weirdly dreamlike okay so yeah it's good i really liked it I feel like um, anytime they have a lot of like 
a lot of fog or kind of like hazy lighting it's like shorthand for like okay this is this is you know kind of dreamlike and then on top of just lynch's imagery in general also falls that way um i am gonna ask you because i always ask you if you are trying to get someone into david lynch which is the easiest movie blue to get into? it's always it's blue, still velvet. Gonna be blue velvet okay i was wondering if this changed things because this is like, no 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 uh, it, like no. if you want to give someone a clear idea of like what is a david lynch movie just make them watch blue velvet okay. um they may hate it and they may hate you for making them watch it but at least they'll know they'll know that this is what it is okay it's not watching the entirety of twin peaks no because there's a lot of twin peaks that david lynch didn't have anything to do with and mm-hmm. those parts of twin peaks are awful like they're right after really, they reveal really who the murderer bad. is well right after he leaves the show basically it just goes to complete shit um and then when he comes back it's great again the like three episodes that he comes back in the second season and then yeah of course but it's like it's this very sudden drop off in quality yeah and um you want people to have a better experience or at least a more true experience yeah well i was wondering because like a lot of the times like if you ask me okay well what's the kurosawa film that you would want to show people to get them into to kurosawa i would not say seven samurai i think seven samurai is probably like his best movie i also Mm -hmm. wouldn't say something obscure like if you really want to know what he's about you should watch dreams i would be like okay you want to watch you probably want to watch something like like my go-to is sanjuro because it's not particularly long but it has all of the major kurosawa stuff except for like the insane weather so you know like a good introductory movie well, then you of, could like, have him watch yojimbo because that has inclement weather yeah but i feel like the i feel like the script for sanjuro is so much tighter than yojimbo like i i i, I don't know i'm weird because i really like sanjuro just because the momentum of the movie is really good and there aren't like yojimbo has too many start and stops for me and plus i like the idea of like uh toshiro maifuni is this like crass homeless samurai who's just like a fierce warrior and like there are all of these like samurai who are like no we are hoity-toity samurai stereotypes and they're all just completely fucking useless the whole movie (laughs) and it just like i always found that funny as a counterpoint to seven samurai but yeah but i think sanjiro is just a little bit more like for the average moviegoer it's probably a little bit more approachable than the weird turns that uh yojimbo takes mm. in a couple of spots so the other things i watched which yes. i think kind of go as a pair would be uh mm-hmm. ma rainey's black bottom and one night in miami you did see one night in miami yep okay interesting i i wanted to watch it so go ahead about either movie well i mean they're both based on plays which already sets them back. <laughs> they both have a lot of acting, quote unquote. <laughs> and they're both about, like, you know, black issues. Mm-hmm. But instead of being stories about black issues, they're like a bunch of people get in a room and talk for two hours about black issues. Which is like, yeah. you know, I don't really want to watch a panel discussion i want to watch a movie (laughs) so yeah i'll say between the two of them 
Ma Rainey is a lot more flashy. It's also a lot more boring. It It's so, like... There's an episode of American Dad where it, it takes the form of a play written by, like, a, a fake playwright who committed suicide. And it's sort of meant to be, like, the most generic American drama ever. It's like a parody of, you know every play you ever read in high school from the 20th century. Mm -hmm. And that's what Ma Rainey's Black Bottom feels like. It feels like uh, that episode of American Dad where they make fun of theater as an art form. One Night in Miami is a little more cinematic. You know, there aren't nearly as many monologues or as many, like, heavy-handed dialogues. A lot of the language is pretty clipped compared to... Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, where people just talk endlessly in ultra, like, stylized speech. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, Ma Rainey's cinematic style, it's a lot of, like, you know, wide angles, tracking shots, ensemble staging, which is cool in a movie, but when it's adapted from a play, it just kind of feels like you parked a camera in front of a play. Um, right. So it actually backfires. Whereas One Night in Miami, the cinematic language is a lot more boilerplate, but because it's adapting a play, it makes it feel less like I'm watching a play with a camera in front of it and more like I'm watching a real movie. Mm -hmm. So that, that definitely helps with One Night in Miami. I think the other thing is the... One thing about One Night in Miami that's kind of annoying is like there's, the, there's a play from 1982 called Insignificance which is, uh, it's about Marilyn Monroe, Joe DiMaggio, Albert Einstein, and Senator Joe McCarthy all converge on a hotel room one fateful evening and reflect on the themes of the play. And mm -hmm. that, you know, if that premise sounds annoying and tedious, it's because it probably is annoying and tedious. And One Night in Miami is just that with uh, black American icons instead of white American icons. Um, so, you know, it's Malcolm X, Muhammad Ali, Jim Brown, and Sam Cooke converge on a hotel room one fateful evening while they're all at a inflection point in their lives and discuss the state of black America and, and blah, 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 blah. And it just feels so contrived and hackneyed. But, you know, there's still fun bits to be mined from it. Like, the, the way the dialogue is written and the way the actors perform are all really good impressions of real-life people. I think the highlight being Muhammad Ali. Like, Muhammad Ali's dialogue is exactly like how he used to talk. And the guy who plays him, even though he's way too bulky... Um, he looks just like know, him. His face looks just like him, and he sounds just like him. It's just Muhammad Ali, you know, this Eli Gori who plays him... You know, he looks like a bodybuilder, whereas, you know, if mm -hmm. you look at boxers, especially from that era, you know, it was back then it was considered like, you know, if you're a boxer, don't lift weights because that'll make you big and stiff and slow. And you're just yeah. going to get like lit up because your muscles are going to get in the way. <laughs> no, I'm serious. That's how they used to think. No, I yeah, mean, yeah, yeah. And especially like Muhammad Ali is like, he's fast. His well, yeah, he was and he was especially slim too, like you watch his fights with Sonny Liston and Sonny Liston is just, just like this short squat tank of a man. And then, yeah, Muhammad Ali is like tall and lean and bouncing around. Um, He's Orlando and the, Bloom. No, I'm kidding. 
<laughs> well, and the other thing that's kind of nice about One Night in Miami versus Ma Rainey's Black Bottom is, like, I think Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, it it really feels like a play. It's all confined to one location. It's like, I, I felt like I was in a theater, in a theater theater, in the worst way possible when I was watching right. that movie. Whereas One Night in Miami, I don't know how much of it is actually in the play that it's based on, but, you know, it jumps across different places and things like that, and it has some, you know, action that happens. Like, there's a few boxing scenes. There's a a scene where Malcolm X's house gets attacked, and he has to, like, get his family to safety. So, like, that kind of breaks up the, the play feel of it. And helps a lot. Um, it's interesting, the boxing sequences, because Muhammad Ali, like, you could watch someone, like, an animated silhouette of Muhammad Ali and instantly recognize, like, oh, that's Muhammad Ali. And you could tell that they, like, kind of tried to get it, but, like, it was it's very hit and miss. But, mm-hmm. you know, it is what it is. Yeah, that's... that's Because I... Anytime an actor... I used to be excited when actors took over directing gigs and they would direct things um and especially like i feel like regina king's had a resurgence as far as her career over the last five years well and the other thing too it's Uh, like people make a big deal about how this is her directing debut she's been directing in tv for a while yeah that i was gonna say like since 2013 and she's done music videos and things like that so but I, i still always get worried when they're like when they're like you know from director blah 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 and it's like you mean this person who's a, a pretty decent actor but probably doesn't understand the language of cinema like a tech because obviously i love technicians i love cinema technicians like if i had to if i had to decide on what kind of a director i like those are my favorite um so usually actors are like oh yeah they're good at bringing out actors performances but then everything else is pretty generic looking. See, for and, example, you know, the Night we'll be, Sky. Let's be fair. One Night in Miami is generic looking. But it works in its favor? But that actually works in its favor. Like George Wolfe, who directed Ma Rainey, he's a theater director as well. And that's where most mm-hmm. of his acclaim has come from. He definitely strikes me as more of a technician. But I think he's overly reverent of the movie's theatrical origins. <laughs> Yeah, because it's yeah. just like it really makes you feel like you're watching a play, and I do not want to feel like I'm watching a play when I'm watching a movie because plays are inherently anti-cinematic. You know, right? Yeah, they yeah. they do one specific thing really well, but to try and bring that to a movie, I think, is self-defeating and really just kind of a waste. You know, so, I had this conversation yeah, ahead, with someone ahead. earlier this week. Like, movies are capable of doing really amazing things because they have so many tools at their disposal. Mm-hmm. Um, so to make those tools conform to the environment and the the feeling of theater is, to me, is, like, absurd and a waste of time, you know? Yeah. Like, so... Yeah. And it, it's kind of a... Yeah, I mean, it just it, it annoys me, too, because it's like this movie's probably going to win some awards and stuff, but it's like, I don't even understand why it was made. Like it, if you wanted to see it, just go see a staged version of it in a theater somewhere. Once the COVID shit's over with like, yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, when it, at least when it comes to awards bait and shit like that, we should be celebrating things that 
exemplify what's great about movies, not what's great about another art form. You know, I was talking to someone earlier this week about it, and like they brought up Lawrence of Arabia, and it's like Lawrence of Arabia is a perfect example of something that is like pure cinema. You know, yeah. like you know that bit where he blows out the match and it cuts to the sunrise. Mm-hmm. Like no play will ever be able to capture anything remotely like that. Yeah, you can't edit like in a play you can't edit so that's a thing of cinema and then also the scale of the battles in lawrence of arabia yeah the fact but it's just so like massive. something that simple is so magnificent yeah. and can never be in a play so why would you try to limit this beautiful art form that you have to something that is that is not it you know mm-hmm. so i i do want to kind of talk about this because I, I also saw Ma Rainey's Black Bottom and I had read your review well most of it I didn't read your rating apparently um, because you and I come at it from a different place like for example I, f- I think that Ma Rainey's Black Bottom because of the performances and the runtime to me it's a witness like everything that they wanted to do for the most part is really good like the performances for me elevate the material I'd say it's a low witness um, and if you could just see a staged version of it with really good actors that's still the preferred way to see it. I totally get where you're coming from with stage shows. Like, um, like stage shows are made for the stage. Therefore, they should be seen on the stage. If you're going to take a stage show and bring it in and make it a movie, then you need to elevate it somehow. You need to use the cinematic language somehow. And that's the thing I was thinking of the entire time I was watching Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Because I you even... I don't know if you commented on it, but like with Moonlight, Barry Jenkins uses his own visual flair, his own yeah, camera work. Yeah, I put that in the review. Use of montage. Yes. And that elevates that material there. Um, I always think of Dial M for Murder because I love Dial M for Murder. Uh, but you know that it's a stage show because almost the entire thing takes place in one location. And all of the scenes feel like they're taking place in real time. And... I think there's there's a certain level of me, me personally there's a I'm okay with them coming out with stage or with a with movie versions of the stage show because now you're going to have to go with me on here because I wouldn't mind having the version of the stage show captured in a movie using regular, you know, generic movie tools to capture it. Just, just for preservation purposes, I would rather not watch something like that. Like, um, like Rope to me is really is kind of more of a boring movie, even though that also uses a lot of cinematic conventions that are really interesting. With that said, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom would have been better if it had not been so tied to the source material. There's a bunch of different things they could have done, such as every time there's a long monologue, instead of just focusing on Chadwick Boseman's face. Um, yeah, show the way it. a spotlight would shine on him if he was on stage and the rest of the stage would go dark. Yeah, and as he's walking forward in the stage so that the spotlight is right over him and the background is all dark, it's like, why don't you show us what he's talking about? Show us the the horrific scene, you know, or like not even show it to us as, you know, as obvious as possible, but like you can do impressionistic filmmaking to make mm-hmm. the effect heightened instead of just watching Chadwick Boseman cry. Yeah, I mean, that's the issue. It's just the the movie is so in love with theater, it forgets it's mm-hmm. a movie. And yeah. then just becomes boring as fuck. 
And even though the staging is really good, the way that they're moving, you know, the obsession with breaking down the door, which is in the stage show, and then him finally breaking it down and seeing it's just another wall. It's like, okay, that's that's cool visual imagery. That's perfect. That makes sense. That is who this character is. But the, a lot of the staging is not staging that's good on a on a uh, like on a movie level. A lot of the staging is just stage show staging, and you know that it is because if it were good for the movie, then they would never need to cut away from it. But mm. they have to intercut everything, and they cut everything to death, which hurts it even more in a way. It does does that make sense? Or yeah, do I need to well, elaborate that point. I mean, the staging is stagey. The dialogue is stagey where it's like, you know, theater, because in theater, all you have is dialogue. So everything's going to be really heightened and everything, every idea that you want to introduce into your play has to be introduced through dialogue. Right. Which is fine in a play. That's how it works. That's the medium. That's not movies. You don't have to talk. Every issue or notion or idea or concept that you want to introduce in your movie does not have to be explicitly discussed out loud. And again, it's like a waste of all of the tools you have at your disposal in filmmaking to do it that way. Like, it, God, it's just, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom feels like such a play, and I hate it. Because it's just like, it's like, okay, four characters walk into a room, they're putting their clothes away, they're all introducing each other and saying their names out loud, and they have this very, like, casual back and forth where they also, like, talk really metaphorically for some reason and they're talking about like molecules changing all the time and it's like (laughs) no one says that ever this is some theater bullshit and all the characters are just stand-ins for ideas instead of real people and it just and then eventually like it cuts down to one character delivering a really emotional monologue and then eventually another and once the monologue's over there's like a like an end scene and then they start folding other characters back in and then you like, you can even tell where the intermission is. If you watch Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, you can tell where the intermission is in the fucking play. And it pisses me off so much. Because I, I don't know how... I'm sure I've made it plenty obvious over the many episodes that we've done. I don't like theater as an art form categorically. I think it's limiting. I think it's uninteresting. I think it's dull. I think it's boring. And I think movies should be doing everything within their power to not be theater. So when you come across a movie that's got like a 98% on Rotten Tomatoes and is literally just a play with a camera parked in front of it, it drives me completely insane. I actually think that there is, that like plays are important. I think that they're still relevant in a way that movies, like in a way that's in contrast to movies. And I think they're relevant for that reason, for the whole idea of like play stage shows can do something that movies can't. What can Um, they do? Uh, I like the idea of one being in the same space as an actor and experiencing everything in real time. Whereas like in movies, the real time that we experience in movies is not, it's like a heightened real time. So every time we have a long take of something, the way that we experience the long take is like, we're almost always on edge. We're always on like in living in the moment in, in, you know, of what's going to happen next. And so the long take aside from Tarkovsky's long takes, which felt, which reminded me a lot of theater, but in a movie, you know, everything has been planned out. You know, everything has to be executed perfectly. And it's been captured in this moment at a certain time period in a stage show, something can go completely off the rails and the actors have to adapt or something can be skipped or 
the way that they do the show can evolve over time so that for the actors it's showing it's bringing out a different side it's um it's evolving the themes of the show better they find what works what doesn't work but they can go in and do self-editing yeah go ahead the problem is this is a movie you know what i mean like the light like no i'm what so what makes theater work is the live aspect of it the you're watching a live performance like you're it's like it's the same it's the same feeling of watching someone play a song for you in front of you as opposed to listening to a recording you know it's that it's that same kind of specialness to it but this is a movie we're not watching a live performance we're watching a movie which is like just immensely irritating so the thing that I, I thought about a lot when watching this movie was Steve Jobs, because that was another movie that felt very theatrical, stage play-y. And in some senses, it always does. Every time I watch it, I'm like, I could see this easily on on a, uh, on a stage, and they're just like going through the same things. But to me, if they had brought in some of the stuff that um, Danny Boyle did in Steve Jobs, if they had brought taken some artistic license with that on Ma Rainey's Black Bottom it would have been a lot better if they would have found a way to create what I call like film jazz or or visual jazz in the movie to represent things it would have been better if you get someone like Spike Lee to direct this I think it would have been better because you'll have these weird moments where it's just like these non sequitur camera in front of uh right in front of someone's face as they're monologuing directly to the camera and maybe behind them you'll see like flickering you know the moments of their life or abstractions of of what's coming true so um like i i agree with you wholeheartedly that if this movie were more cinematic to me it would have been better because the line that stuck out with me in your review was it's about it's a movie about people talking about things that happened as opposed to things happening yep i'll also say that i think there is a spot in film probably not in like popular film but there is something interesting to me about a movie where you're just waiting for the thing that needs to happen to happen, but you would build it up in a way where it's like you're anticipating this thing to happen and then it happens as opposed to like in this movie where it's just like it's inconsequential for narrative purposes that nothing is happening and that Ma Rainey needs this and you know Chadwick Boseman is doing this. Like it just feels like instead of feeling like there's something that we're on the precipice of happening or using that as like a joke. For example, the fact that they start and stop so many times, like right when they're about to, right when they're about to do something, eh, they're not doing anything. You could have used that for something interesting in the movie. Like you could have commented on, on movies with that, but instead it's just an incidental, it's just an incidental need of the play of the stage show itself. Yeah. Well, and the other thing it's like, you know, on a, in a stage show maybe not all your actors are musicians so you can't play like a full song in your stage show so yeah it would be like kind of a plot contrivance of theater where everyone's like they're always about to start playing a song but they never do Mm -hmm. like that's a really common thing like like we're always about to do something that we can't portray on stage because of the limitations of the art form and that becomes a recurring plot device of like we're about to ah crap something came up yeah (laughs) But right. like in a movie, that's just it just feels stupid. 
Yeah, I mean, we could have heard Levy's version. We didn't need to just keep getting teased about it. We could have heard his version of the song. We could have played it <laughs> exactly. over something. And maybe it's just because, like, I don't, I've never seen it or I've never experienced it before. But I was like, even with all of those issues, I still thought, you know, it's pretty good. The performances in it are pretty good. Have you, did you see Fences, the Denzel Washington no. Fences movie? I try don't, to avoid don't watch movies it. based on plays just for reasons I've already expressed. The, oddly enough, this was a better version of, because Fences had all of the same problems where it felt way too much like someone filming a staged or filming a version of the stage show, but just trying to like maneuver the camera more interestingly and it didn't work. And this, at least the camera movement worked a little bit better. And like the visuals were a little bit more interesting. Fences was just like, it was just so, so much worse. I was, I, and there's a good chance that we're going to have more of these because Denzel Washington is trying to produce 10 plays he's trying to produce August the entire Wilson. pittsburgh cycle even though this took place in chicago form. i know <laughs> but yeah yeah and it's like if that's the case i don't i don't know if i'm gonna continue it i don't need the august wilson cinematic universe i'm good i yeah we definitely don't i mean the thing is you mentioned preservation it's like not everything needs to be adapted into a movie to be preserved right i mean Shakespeare is preserved in its literary form across the ages. Books are preserved in their literary form across the ages. We still have the sheet music of Mozart and uh, Beethoven and Bach. Like, it's always going to be there, and people will always be mm-hmm. able to perform it live as it's meant to be. Yeah. I just think it's, I think, and it's the same reason why we have a lot of book adaptations, and book adaptations are really hard to do is because for a lot of people, it's so much easier to just reference the movie. And I don't I don't necessarily love it, but that's why we get things like, when people think of Les Miserables now, the first thing they think of is the Tom Hooper movie. It's not a good thing that they think of that, but it is that is how you know movies get out in the popular culture. Like everyone now, when they think of cats, they think of like, you know, weird, Idris Elba cat. Um, and so I'm, I mean, like part of me is glad that people will go out and put these things out there. Like I, I'm glad that dial M for murder is out there because it's, it's, it seems like it's a series of movies that have come out where Alfred Hitchcock is trying to figure out how to put a stage play on in a theater as best as he knows how to and failing differently every time. Um, so, which I find interesting. So, like, I can't fault them for putting it out there and, and making it out there because, you know, at, in the sense, in the case of Fences, the cast of Fences is great. The movie itself is not particularly amazing. Um, the cast of Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, to me, is great. I love all of the little bit players. They do a really good job, and I love seeing them in, in a movie in these roles. But I just wish the execution were a little bit better. Yeah, with how how the cinema side of it is. Also, speaking of how Ma Rainey is like stereotypical theater to a T, they even have someone die pointlessly at the end out of nowhere, <laughs> which ha- like in every in every generic drama from you know like Death of a Salesman to 
fucking you name it any eugene o'neill play i'm sure the Iceman cometh just some dude dies randomly and out of nowhere and you're like well i guess it wouldn't be a play if, if that didn't happen <laughs> it wouldn't be a quote play unquote with quote weight unquote my, I, I will say my least favorite part of Ma Rainey's Black, even though I saw that part coming and I was like, no, the only cool character died. Um, the the part I hated the most, I liked the most until I hated it the most was when Levy is cursing out God and he's just like, where was God? God wasn't there. And I was like, yeah, yeah, that's great. Wow, really groundbreaking. And then Chadwick Boseman points his knife to the air and he's like, come on, God, come smile. And I'm like, that works in theater, but now it just looks like he's shouting at the music producer to come down and like yeah. fight him. Well, it's just like I was the, just like, this is so dumb. the The whole movie is just the whole movie of Ma Rainey's Black Bottom is just theater captured as a movie, and everything that works in theater that doesn't work in movies does not work here, including the histrionic acting. I think one of the yeah. other reasons I like One Night in Miami a little better is because they tone down the performances. My whole beef with you know, theater acting, and I mentioned this in the Pieces of a Woman mm-hmm. review, is that, you know, stage acting is really big. Everything's really big because you have to scream your emotions at someone sitting in the back of the room, like, you know, a football field away from you sometimes. Yeah. Um, whereas in cinema, you have a camera, like, right up against your face. So it's like if you act like a theater actor in a film, you'll look ridiculous. And if you okay. act like a film actor on the stage, no one will be able to understand anything you're doing. So it's like a lot of the most emotional moments, like everyone's raving about Chadwick Boseman's performance. And the thing is, it's like, it's a great performance, but it's a great theater performance. Yeah. It's way too much for a movie. What and it, I I feel like and like a lot you contrast it, that with like you know I I would say like I've said this many times but I think Tom Hardy yeah. is probably the best film actor out there. Every, mm-hmm. That's because everything he does is so subtle. But if you put him on a stage and he tried to do that same thing, I guarantee you people would be watching me like, what the fuck is he doing? He's just standing around grumbling. I can't even hear him. <laughs> Which is kind of it's just it's sad because like, you know. Chadwick Boseman, I think, does a really good job in the movie for the most part. It is, it does border on too much stagey. Before it borders on way too much. Yeah. Um. In some instances, the way that he escalates his own, like, because he goes from like, you know, all right, this is still fine film acting, and then it just kind of escalates to like, I'm shouting at the sky with a knife in my hand as yeah. I shoo shine. You know. Well, it's like. Exactly, because like the, not only are the emotions huge, not only is he yelling a lot, but the body language is huge too. Like he's waving yeah. his entire upper body when he's uh, waving the knife, or he'll like when he he lays down on the bench to work on the song. Mm-hmm. You know, he yep. curls up his it entire looks... he, he contorts everything and curls up on the bench in this really stylized way. That yeah. you know, if you were watching in the theater, you could see it from all the way in the back. It's like oh, he's curling up on the bench. But in a movie with yeah. a camera right there, it's like, it's like, why is he doing that? Like, why not just sit? <laughs> yeah, why not just sit? Or like, why not just like write it on, like write on, write it on the piano, the piano, or yeah, like it's. And, but see, those are director choices. Those are things. It's like, okay, he should have told 
Chadwick Boseman, like, all right, let's dial it back. Let's dial it back. You know, yeah, like, I mean, it it is a collaborative mm-hmm. failure <laughs> yeah. or success, well, and a lot depending it, on how you look at it. Like, you know, both director, actor, and the crew people all have a role to play. Yeah. I mean, I, and again, uh, most of the reason I liked it was because I would have, I would have loved to see all of these actors do it on the stage. And I think enough of the sub, like, I think the, uh, the band, for the most part, they did a good job of kind of reigning in their performances for the most part. Um, I liked Viola Davis a lot in it. Um, and like, I, but again, a lot of that also has to do with just like the script itself, the idea of, you know, I'm going to create all of these characters that are obnoxious and you hate initially, but you, but then kind of like explain the emotional drive of them, explain what they do. Um, and I, I liked that because it was things that like, why does a diva act like a diva? Um, for Ma Rainey, it's just like, oh, she's so entitled that she acts this way. And it's like, no, she has a very, like, it's a very good reason why she acts that way because they're going to just take, they're just going to take advantage of her if she doesn't protect herself like this. So if she's difficult to work with, they're still going to need what she has. And like, that was probably my favorite. I think that was the, that was getting close to the act. No, the act break, I guess, was like, she wanted her Coke, right? The act break is when um, Chadwick Boseman has his first big monologue where he's like crying about his mom or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And then um, it goes to the the guy who dies playing the piano and singing a little song by oh, himself yeah, in a black right. room. And then it like fades to black. It's like, ah, it's the internet. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So like that's, I mean, the scene where she's explaining her motivations, which, you know, makes... I liked it. I was like, oh, okay, that gives me a little bit more understanding to who she is and why she acts the way she acts. Like, I liked that stuff. But I would have liked that on the stage just as much. I would have liked it more on the stage. Yeah, I would have, yeah. Like, where she could stand up and walk forward and turn and stuff. <laughs> so, I mean, I like, again, it's tough because the entire time I was watching it, I was just thinking, okay, well, how would I have, how would I have plussed this? How would I have made this more emotionally interesting or emotionally relevant yeah and so that's why i'm interested in i didn't realize that one night in miami was based off of a uh based off of a place so i'll be interested to watch it because i can i'm looking at a synopsis of it and i see that they that it's not all just in one area they have these moments of narrative where it's like jumping around here and there yeah to show other things so i might I might take away one of the things that i had i took issue with in ma rainey's black bottom yeah, I would say One Night in Miami definitely makes for a better movie. Um, yeah. I'd say, like, One Night in Miami is maybe a low witness, and then Ma Rainey is just, it's fine. Yeah. yeah. Fair enough. What else have you been watching? That's it. That's still better than me, man. <laughs> no, I was going to ask if you wanted to watch One Night in Miami, but, like, for some reason, even the trailer didn't really appeal to me. I was like, uh, I don't know. And then you tack on an actor director and kind of like how adapted from a play is like a red flag for you. Yeah. When actors direct, it usually is a red flag for me just because it's understandable. Like, there are very few, there are more Robert Redford's out there than there are Orson Welles. And even like, I know that Austin is a huge fan of Mel Gibson's movies but even then, he's to me, he's still not the most like he's still not technical enough as far as what I like in a lot of cases. So 
I would disagree. I'm a, I'm a I, I think Mel Gibson is actually a very good technical director. I think he's, oh, I think he's just a little, uh, he's a little hit and miss sometimes with his the scripts that he chooses to work on and some of his decision making. But yeah, yeah, like I still think Hacksaw Ridge is amazing, um, and Apocalypto. I think he there were some the story wise there's some problems structurally, and I think they didn't make that didn't I don't think they quite made the best use of their budget, but um, the there's the sections in the movie where everything's firing on all cylinders are really incredible. Yeah, I mean I think he's much more technical than most actor directors and even most sort of regular studio hand directors. I just, you know, I just, I mean, I just think that like for me, I lo- I thought Hacksaw Ridge was really good, but I I don't like it nearly as much as you and Austin like it. I know that. <laughs> I know that for sure. I think he does the violence thing particularly amazingly. I don't think anyone yeah. would disagree with him on that. Well, um, th- there's a, there's a really short moment in Hacksaw Ridge where um, they call in the coordinates for the cliff and um, it's getting shelled by the naval ships that are nearby. Mm-hmm. And the way that that little bit is filmed is almost like Terrence Malicky. Like, it's gorgeous. And I was just like, wow. He does little things like that really, really surprisingly well. Yeah. I know that the the lighting for me like the lighting initially got on my nerves, but I understand why they did it because the lighting in the first half of the movie is so like romance movie lighting, very Oh yeah, it's it's you know short high for contrast. This takes Everything place in the perfect. past. Well not but not just that, it's used to contrast as it you know, when he gets to Hacksaw Ridge and all of a sudden all of the colors are super desaturated and yep. um and everything like that. It's like, oh okay, I see. It's to show like the start you know contrast between between these two worlds that <laughs> that he uh that he is within i just i i don't know he he also just doesn't direct enough stuff that i can get well it's because he's always viable. in hollywood hell for being like racist or whatever <laughs> or um sexist anti-semitic one of those things uh all three of those things all three of those yeah. things yep yeah he's but but hey, Hollywood keeps giving him another shot. They keep giving him shots. So Yeah. Hollywood loves a comeback story. Yeah, they they just like a lot of movies, they love a comeback story, especially if the person is racist and spouts a lot of racial slurs. It's like Martin Scorsese's entire filmography. You should like this person, even though <laughs> Even though he's clearly very obviously racist and misogynistic and not a great guy. You should like him anyway. Well, or I Quentin say Tarantino's that's... cameos in his filmography. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was talking about that with some friends. We were like, why does Quentin Tarantino get this rap as like a giant racist? And I'm like, probably because in, in Pulp Fiction, he's like, what does my garage look like? Dead enter storage. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, it's the, I, like... Yeah. You, that's all you need that's all you need to have a reputation <laughs> yeah or like 
like look at these movies that i wrote and directed and i have a lot of freaking like everyone is saying the n-word every other word it's like well i guess you know like at least most of the time it's like the black guy saying it and then all of a sudden quentin tarantino comes on dorky film nerdy quentin tarantino and he's just like enter 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 and it's like oh no tarantino what are you doing which, of course, you know, in the movie, his wife is black. So I thought that was also kind of funny. <laughs> and, like, as a as a director, he's always been pretty good about, like, bringing in a lot of representation things. Until, until um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. But, yeah, Tarantino's an interesting guy to say. So, um, yeah, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom... Is about yes. cultural appropriation, right? I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> I won't. What I do want to talk, talk about, about is there was an article in the newspaper that was accusing movies of cultural appropriation, but it was it was accusing the film world of culturally appropriating theater (laughs) (laughs) what yes exactly the words that i just said um it was accusing it was basically saying like it's like you know it's like the the standard argument you always hear like all these white musicians make all this money uh playing black songs or singing in black styles and like they got a you know they got to pay back the people who whose shoulders they're standing on, right? Right. That's the that's the stand that's the cultural appropriation beef in a nutshell. So this Times article was like, film is standing on the shoulders of theater. It's culturally appropriating theater to make all this money. Meanwhile theater actors and writers and directors are you know living in their car or whatever um like they gotta pay back the people whose shoulders they're standing on and my brain almost melted when i read that because i was like first of all fuck theater Second of all, all these movies that are like appropriating theater theater culture um suck like they're not good (laughs) you know or they're not great some of them are okay um so it's like why why should i care about any of this it's kind of a dumb argument in general because um like so in my mind you know obviously film came from theater in the sense of like when they didn't have anything in the silent era they needed to find stories somewhere and they looked everywhere the other thing is like the well like so i guess the the plays that they make yeah go ahead i was saying the context of this was like with during covid times and they were referencing specifically pieces of a woman ma rainey's black bottom one night in miami and i'm sure many others that i have not cared to watch (laughs) um but like in in like for like in pieces of a woman the writer of the play is the writer of the movie so she's getting yep. royalties from that yep like 
Same thing the, with One Night in Miami. The guy who wrote the play wrote the script for the movie. Like, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, the guy who wrote the play is dead, so his estate probably got a shit ton of money when Denzel was like, I'm going to make all ten of these movies. So, and then George um, Wolfe is a theater director who directed the movie. Right, and directed Knights in Rodanthe. So the, the fact that the movie came out looking anything interesting at all is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I just I wanted to make I wanted to bring it up because I thought that article was so insane. Yeah, that's it's such a weird take too. Like like the plays are you know, the movies are standing on the giants of plays, and I'm like, I don't think the movie version of American Buffalo is particularly amazing. But as far as like the appropriation thing is concerned, I think like Malcolm Gladwell has a really interesting uh, uh, episode of his podcast on it. I don't know if it's like blase to talk about that podcast, but how we need to remember that it's a neutral term. And it's like, yes, movies did appropriate, you know, the foundations of, of the stage and then reworked it for their own thing. But it also means that people who like the movie version of X thing, for example, some, for some reason, people like the movie version of nine the musical with um with what's his name daniel day lewis and like after that movie came out the the stage show like shot up in popularity because no one knew what that stage show was which was an adaptation of eight and a half so like i get it in the time of covid it's like we should make the like you guys need to pay us back and maybe like what Hollywood usually does. They took advantage of the people originally when saying, oh, we're going to take your property and make a stage show of it. But like at the same time, the people who are making the money on it, they're going to continue to make the money on it. And the people who would be getting the, who would be reaping the rewards, which you think would be like the producers of the stage shows, like they're already rich. And so they're probably okay. So if the issue is like actors equity and things like that, I mean, like, Sure, maybe they should donate some money to Actors' Equity, but I think a lot of these people who are in the creative position to create these movies are already doing that. So, like, yeah. well, what more just, do you want us so to the, do by gift certificates to the theater? Like, I don't know, because it's, so it's Los Angeles Times. The headline is, Theater is Hollywood's Talent Incubator. It's time Hollywood stepped up to save it. That's such a weird, that's such a stupid notion because I'm pretty sure that like... It's incredibly stupid. It's so, it's so, um, I'll have to, I'll I'll be interested in reading the article, but like the idea that all stage actors are, for example, just to oversimplify having never read the article, if you're going to tell me that most people got their start on the stage, most actors in movies got their start on the stage, I would call bullshit because there are a number of supermodels who don't there are a number of athletes who don't there are a number of people who don't like doing stage performances because they have trouble memorizing lines who got into television there are people who broke in from being extras and that's just on the actor side you know there's a ton of writers like book writers play writers they can't make the transition to writing screenplays because writing a screenplay may be controversial statement but it is it, it there is an art behind it there's a specific set of muscles that you need to be able to flex to write a screenplay that is different than writing a novel or writing a stage play they're not one-to-one correlations Mm -hmm. so if you're talking about state about playwrights writing movies very few of them can make the transition and make it well i mean it took aaron sorkin like 20 years and writing a bunch of television episodes 
and yet all of his stuff still feel a little bit stage play-y. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, well, and it's... The other thing, too, is it's like... It, it, the article makes the point that a lot of content this year has been adapted from plays, and that's not a good thing, you know? Yeah. That's not good. We shouldn't be adapting all these plays into movies and TV shows. Well, I could say the same about adapting books as well. But yeah, I, I that feel too. I feel strongly I feel strongly both ways. Like I can understand the need to, like why like on the on a level of an audience member the need to like, make money. <laughs> well, on the on the level of the studio, they're like, Oh, this will be cheap to make. Hey, it's a play, the script is already done, and then you get and then you have issues like with Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. But then like there's like some some theater kid in like podunk idaho who's never seen or who never will get to see ma rainey's black bottom and they're like oh i'm so glad i get to see ma rainey's black bottom now and maybe that'll get me interested in in theater and things like that I mean, so like i understand kind of sucks about theater is the class issue like, yeah theater is an art form built to be consumed by rich people who live in large <laughs> metropolitan areas if you don't have money or if you don't live in new york you can't enjoy theater it's how it is and yeah, that's also another. It's another reason why theater is dumb. <laughs> I mean, there was I. You know, there's there. You can always go to community theater and then watch everyone. <laughs> I am Hamlet. My father hath died on this well, thine. Community theater is also just as likely know. to put on like dinner theater type productions as well, <laughs> like you know, like a, a corny whodunit or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Which I again, I'm fine with. You know what? Don't don't take away my corny whodunits in theater with live people and dead bodies who are clearly still breathing and opening their yeah, eyes. Yeah, I mean that's all fine. There's it's a place fun. for it, but and like I feel like there is a place for all of this stuff. But the idea that and again, I have to I have to read the article. I'm just going off of my initial impulse. I feel like I need I should couch that in because I feel like there's a lot of times people are reactionary about these sort of things. Not that we would ever be reactionary about anything why no yeah but yeah the the idea of because there's a ton of movies that come out that don't make any money and people go broke trying to make them Mm -hmm. um and yet you don't see like people like with anything where there are people in huge positions of power that control all of the purse strings and decide the fate of many an artistic project I understand the need to clap back against the audience consuming the material, but really there should be, it's comp- it's more complicated than that. I don't know. I don't know if that's a good place to end that thought. Like most plays, that conversation about plays basically just ended on a loud fart. Um <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I don't think streaming is going to kill the the play market. And like I said, I think there's a there's I think there's a, an avenue for it. But yeah, you're right. The the barriers to entry are like it's like a bunch of rich people wanting to look at how the poor people live. Oh, is this a documentary? It's like no, it's just a stage <laughs> play of rent. Well, yeah, it's like like who the fuck that's not a cajillionaire has seen Hamilton on the stage. Yeah. You know. And, like, it doesn't help to do the, like, it helps kind of to do the raffles because then the people who are actually 
interested in it more than just like putting it as a badge of honor on their on their you know uh, i'm rich and i supported a poor a poor person and i'm cultured look at me i'm so cultured i have watched that show hamilton and i can discuss the uh the discourse about how it's very interesting that they took all of these white people and made them minorities. The they man on the ten dollar bill was played by a Hispanic. How charming! <laughs> <laughs> For some reason, Andrew Jackson was still white. But anyway, not important. But like, it, it's like, even if you wanted to do this thing where you could get more people who can't afford theater tickets into the theater to watch musicals and stage shows like that, like, just. I'm guessing just basic econ- economics would show that like, oh, well, I'll just pay more money than you for these theater tickets. And then the theater would be like, well, we're a theater. We're always struggling. So, yeah, if you're giving us well, more yeah, money, the, we're going to take it. Sorry, the the sorry is, smaller is, person over here. I mean, that's the issue. It's like you – if you raffle off a section of your tickets for free, that'll reduce the supply of paid tickets tickets – which will then drive up the price of the paid tickets even further. Yeah, but is it better to like if you're already if you already have to charge that amount, is it better to just raffle off a couple of free tickets cuz like I mean from a you know, socially speaking, yeah, right? it's probably better to barbell it like that so that at least some people who aren't insanely rich get to see the play that mm-hmm. was I guess supposed to be for them. <laughs> God, being poor sucks, doesn't it? All of the people in the audience who are poor. We know. We want to see something interesting and All exciting. Three of them. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> and even then, you get like the rich people who are like, oh, well, if I could get the ticket for free, I might as well do the raffle. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and then it's no poor people in there. Oh. I mean, I don't have much more to talk about. I figure we can save Stalker for another day. Yeah, it. this has been a long one, surprisingly. <laughs> <laughs> well, we had a lot to talk about. We yeah. always do. Well, maybe or maybe not support your local theater. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you can, I guess. <laughs> support independent filmmaking. How about that? That's more on brand. Yeah. Yeah, that is more on brand. Support the support the indies, indie theater, and indie, indie game developers. Um, indie game developers. Do you have any indie games that you want to recommend? No. Same here. <laughs> I don't play that many, unfortunately. Um, I don't either. Yeah. Like, so uh, get Undertale. No, I'm just kidding. Ugh. <laughs> By the power of friendship. I will delete all your hard drive data. I have killed everyone in this game. Don't you feel bad about it? Yes, I do. I guess no, I have to play this game. No, not at all. Because <laughs> you're not real. <laughs> <laughs> have you have you heard of the of the game Lisa, and like yep. the the three games of Lisa? Okay. Yeah. I know we we watch similar videos of things. Yes. I'm like tempted to play it, but I'm also like I don't want to have to do such serious decision making in the in the content I consume, which I guess explains a lot why Michael Bay's movies are popular. Mm-hmm. People don't like thinking; it makes their head hurt. You have to be smart about it. You have to watch a movie that you don't think will be about thinking, and then it'll subtly make you think. Yeah, 
like tenet it's like oh this can't be that complicated and then you watch and you're like oh fuck <laughs> they open it up to theaters again after after nolan's like left wb and they open it up again in theaters and they have they have like a handy uh, sheet that they give everyone when you buy a ticket it's like a laminated sheet of like this is how, the, how the world the works. works you can use this yeah <laughs> this is a flow chart for the movie it'll help you out remember we'll pause it too we'll pause the movie make this long movie even longer so you can double back and check to make sure everything's well, lining up correctly doesn't uh doesn't the French scientist at the very beginning say, uh, don't try to anticipate it, just feel it? Yeah. Like, I think that's kind of, that sums up the movie. Yep, I would agree. Sums it up perfectly. Wait, but that doesn't make, don't, don't think about it. Don't think about it. Here's a, here's, here's a thing blowing up in reverse. Isn't that cool? Well, yes, but then yeah, it makes me think cool. about, <laughs> it makes me think about, no, 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 don't think about it. Look, there's Robert Pattinson running backwards and then blowing up something in reverse. Isn't that also cool? Well, yeah, yeah, I think it's starting to work. There's John David Washington driving badly. Isn't that cool? Yeah, yeah, I guess that's cool, too. Yeah. So you can find us on underthewheels.com, <laughs> where we have a lot of cool shit, lots of reviews, editorials, news, and other stuff. Uh, podcast is available. Well, if you're listening to it, you know at least one place where it's available. But there's mm-hmm. other places, too. You can get it on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and YouTube. Um, yep. Be sure to leave a rating or a review, like, comment, subscribe, all that fun stuff. Show your support. We really appreciate it. And, um, you know, any questions, love, hate, anything in between can go straight to podcast at underthewheels.com. And... Uh, Music by Mike. Yeah, that about sums it up. Oh, and like us on Facebook and Twitter. and Oh, yeah. I guess you could do that. Social media. Read Gabe's reviews of movies. They're really good and really interesting. Yeah. Like us on Facebook. Instead of following us on Twitter, delete your Twitter. You'll be happier. <laughs> trust me. <laughs> you will gain 10 years of your life back by deleting I, Twitter. I don't have a Twitter, and it's amazing. Can't you tell how happy Gabe sounds every day? <laughs> but yeah, no, delete Twitter. It's toxic. It should be called toxic instead of Twitter. It's just every Twitter user shares like one brain cell between the lot of them as soon as they log onto that app. <laughs> well, yeah, you try, you try and condense a very complicated point into, you know, 240 characters. And it's just like, nope, it's just hot takes. It's Nothing yeah, it's just hot, hot takes. takes. And it's like dumb hot takes. It's like like if you've ever talked to someone about something you know a lot about and like three words into what they're saying, you can tell they have no clue what they're talking about. Well, Twitter's almost like that. Well, no, Twitter is like that for every subject all the time. Yeah. I mean, you can usually get out a, a tweet that makes you sound smart and then someone will then spend like an hour with a with a thread explaining why you're wrong and then it's i've like, never read a tweet that made yeah. me think wow that's clever and insightful <laughs> i think for i the, always think like wow this there. person is desperate for attention what a whore <laughs> <laughs> that's my reaction that's, to every tweet yeah. i've ever seen that's the other i will say this though like james mangold did answer one of my questions or one of my statements so you know what Hashtag goals achieved. That's the other thing that like I'll forever 
I'll forever hate Twitter for taking away the hash mark slash number sign. And now everyone just says, oh yeah, just apply the hashtag. And I'm like, ugh. Uh, I, I use the language, but I do not like the language. No, memes are much better. <laughs> Don't do Twitter. Do memes instead. They're much more fun, and they're funnier. As Metal Gear Solid 2 would state. Um, on that note, I'm Matthew. I'm Gabe. And you've just been under the wheels. <laughs>